Our study in the book of Revelation brings us to the trumpet judgments. You remember that during the tribulation period, there are three sets of judgments. There's the seal judgments as the seal of the, what we believe is the title deed of the earth. Has seven seals on it as they're being torn. You have the four horsemen that go forward. The fifth seal are the martyrs under the altar and their cry. The sixth seal was the cosmic disturbances that we saw. And the seventh seal is the seven trumpets. So the seven trumpets come out of the seventh seal. The entire seventh seal is the seventh trumpets. So you find the end of the seals at the last trumpet. And then disconnected from the trumpet and the seal judgment, judgments are the bowl judgments. These seem to be worse. The, the, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments are bad. But the bowl judgments, and these are bowl, not as in bowl with horns, but bowls as you pour, a bowl is poured out on the earth and the judgment hits the earth. Now, as we think about God judging the earth and this time being so severe, and it is severe, a lot of people don't like the aspect of God's judgment. They don't see that it really jives with God's love. God is love. He demonstrated his love for us. He called us. He loved us. He reached out to anyone, anyone who would believe in him. He will forgive your sins. He will love you. He will work with you. But he is also a judge. The Bible teaches us that he is the judge of the universe, the judge of the world. Remember when the Lord came to Abraham and revealed what he was going to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham said, but what about the righteous that are there? Are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? And, and, and Abraham kind of said, if there's 50 righteous there, if there's, and he got down to 10 righteous there, if there's 10 righteous. And Abraham said this, Will not the God of the universe or the God of the world do what is right? And the God of the world will always do what's right in judgment. So before he judged Sodom and Gomorrah, he took Lot and his family by the hand and led them out of it so they would not face judgment. Same thing happened with the flood. He wasn't going to destroy the world as long as there was a righteous man by the name of, of Noah. And we know that he's righteous according to men, right? So it's funny, people will be really exact. And you'll say something like, um, um, Joseph Arimathea was a good man. And people will say, well, there's no one good but God. And okay, yeah, listen, I understand what that's saying. But the Bible says Joseph Arimathea was a good man. The Bible says that Job was a righteous man. The Bible talked about Noah being righteous and finding favor with God. So you can have a righteousness that is among men, and then you can have a righteousness that falls short of, of the righteousness of God, because none of us are going to achieve that. And we understand the Bible talks about those two different things. But listen to what it says in Psalms 75, 7. But God is the judge. He puts down one, and he exalts the other. God is like a judge who hears a case and has to make a decision on that case. The earth has been waiting for judgment from God, and now in the book of Revelation, that judgment has come. That's what we're reading, and God's going to bring that judgment. It will be just, and it will be right. Psalms 96, 13 tells us the same thing. For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. His judgments are with righteousness and with truth. Now also the heaviness of these judgments we see leads to a great revival. This is what we looked at last Wednesday night. There are all of these souls that come out of the tribulation period who are given white robes. And it's the heaviness of these judgments that we are reading that leads to that great revival. 
And God is wrapping the world up. He's wrapping the things of this earth up. The earth was created in Genesis 1, and it will be destroyed in Revelation 21. The creation and the destruction of this world that we are on, that hopefully as a Christian you don't call your home, because we're just passing through. Our home is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. We're sojourners here. We're, we're pilgrims. We don't have buckles on our hats, but we're pilgrims. And we're just passing through the things here. So we see that these first four trumpet judgments are connected. Remember how the first four seals were connected? The first seal was torn and a, and a white horse rode out. The second seal was torn and a black horse rode out. A, third, a red horse rode out. The third seal, a black horse. And the fourth seal, a pale horse and death followed with it. And it was an overview of, of all the things that were going to be happening during the time of the tribulation period. Famine and death and war and the Antichrist. Well, these four trumpets are connected as well. The first four trumpets. And you're going to see their connection. I don't want to give it to you yet. You can read ahead a little bit if you want to. But wait for me. We'll get there. It won't take that long. Uh, so we want to start in verse 1 where it says, When he opened the seventh seal. Now remember, the seventh seal completes the opening of the document. The document is open now. And now that the document's open, here come these seven trumpets that come out of the seventh seal. And uh, it says, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, until up till this point, we've seen that heaven is a very noisy place. It's a place where angels fly and cry out, holy, 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 Lord, God Almighty. It's the place where the elders stand up and throw their crowns down to heaven, where people sing and worship, where angels chant and talk about how great God is. And that seems like there's all of these things going on. And now there's a seal that's open, the seventh seal, and the document is completely open. And now there's silence for a half an hour. I mean, if I just pause, talk about a pregnant pause. If I just pause for a minute, too long, it gets uncomfortable, but silence in heaven. I wonder if everybody's looking around. I wonder if everybody just has seen now these trumpet judgments and sees the heaviness of these judgments because they are heavy. The seal judgments were heavy. The trumpet judgments are heavy. The bowl judgments are heavy. But I think that there's silence in heaven, number one, because the title deed of the earth has been opened. It was given to mankind in the beginning. Do you remember that? God created man and gave them dominion over the earth and the creatures on the earth. Dominion means to rule and reign. Now they somehow transferred that dominion to Satan who said that the kingdoms of the world had been delivered to him and he could give them to Jesus or to whomever he wills if Jesus would bow down and worship him. And Jesus didn't refute him that he didn't have the right to do that with the kingdoms of the world. So the earth today, think about the world, think about the globe, is under demonic control when God intended it to be under human control. We were supposed to take care of the earth that was going to allow us to live on it during the time of the existence, but man fell and no longer ruled with him. So the title deed of the earth was passed to humans, to Satan, and now back to God. And when the seventh trumpet, when the seventh trumpet is blasted, and it's all said and done, it says now... The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord. So I think that's part of the reason for the pause. The silence. Another reason, I think, for the silence is the seriousness of these trumpet judgments. And as we are going to see, they are serious. And they are connected somehow to Christians 
the way that we have been treated throughout history, and I think during the tribulation period. And the reason I say that is because of verse 2. It says, I saw the angels who stood before God, and to them was given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer. A censer is, is it, it holds incense to burn and fill the, you know, the place of worship with smoke or with smell, with the smell of incense. So uh, another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, an altar is places where sacrifice is given, and, and with much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So he takes this incense altar, and this is the second time the prayers of the saints are referenced as incense in the book of Revelation. So the prayers of the saints are taken by this other angel. Now, this is a priestly duty, which has led some to believe that this is Jesus, that another angel is Jesus, and he's taking his high priestly duties, and he's, he's going to the altar. And remember that the things on the earth, when the tabernacle was made by Moses, later when the temple was made, that those things were patterns and types of a temple in heaven. They had to be made exactly like them because they were a type of a temple in heaven. Later on, we're going to see an Ark of the Covenant in heaven. I think that the Ark of the Covenant here was a copy of the Ark of the Covenant there. The mercy seat here was a copy of the mercy seat there. So listen to what it says in Hebrews 8, 5 about these copies. It says, talking about those who serve the earthly um, temple. And remember, in, in Hebrews, the earthly temple was still here. So in Hebrews 8, 5, it says, who serve the copy and the shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So he was given the blueprints and had to make everything like it because it was speaking of heavenly things. Now there's a heavenly altar and there's an angel. Now is this angel Jesus? Maybe not. And the reason we say that is because in verse 3 where it says, then another angel... There's two words in Greek for another. One means another just like it. One means another that is different. This word for another is another just like it. So it says there's seven angels and then another angel. So it would seem like it's not. I wouldn't be surprised if it is, by the way. These are the kind of things you just, there's, there's certain things you don't have to be dogmatic about. You can just look at it and go, well, there's a worship service in heaven. And if this is Jesus or not, this angel takes our prayers and we are part of that worship service, which would tell us of the significance of our prayers. Now, what happens with these? Verse 4. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So the angel held the censer. And the smoke of the incense came out of it after given as a sacrifice on the golden altar. And the smoke went up before God. It's said that our prayers are always before the presence of God. Our prayers are effective. We've been told, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. God gives us promises to the answer to our prayers. Your prayers are important to you. How often have you, not just out of a sense of duty prayed, but cried out to God because of a need. Know that your prayers are heard and they ascend up into heaven. Now, here's where it gets kind of a little weird. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, 
and threw it to the earth. And there was noise, thunders, lightnings, and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now it seems like the judgment that's coming upon the earth partially comes from the prayers of the saints. And if the prayers of the saints are those crying out for the things that are done to them, the martyrs of the world, the martyrs that have lived throughout all of time, then this makes sense. It would almost be what's called imprecatory prayers. An imprecatory prayer is, there's five or six of them in the Psalms. They are prayers to hurt people. Prayers you and I are not supposed to pray. Although Paul in Galatians did pray that he said, if I, kind of something like if I had my way, well, anyway, I won't get, that's, that's a mature moment. Um, he, pray, he says he wants them to be hurt for what they're doing. He also talks about, is it Demetrius, the silversmith or coppersmith that did him great harm? He says, but God will take care of him. So there is a sense when people are evil for us that we give way to wrath. Let me share a couple of scriptures with you that we might be able to understand this. First of all, we have the cry of the martyrs underneath the altar in Revelation 6.10. It says, and they cried with a loud voice, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. I told you that this earth dweller passage would come up again and again. God's judging earth dwellers. And so they pray for vengeance on the earth dwellers. Well, listen to what Romans 12, 19 says. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So even in the book of Romans, we see this, don't seek vengeance, but give place to wrath. Know that God will take care of it. But something else could happen too. The people who are persecuting you, the people who are making your life miserable, for those that have even taken the life of saints in the past, God could touch their hearts and they could get saved. Let's not forget that when we talk about those who are persecuting Christians, Paul, the apostle, was Saul of Tarsus and persecuted the church and even cast lots, he said, for people to have their lives taken from them. But God saw fit to bring salvation and gave leadership within the church to a man who had brought uh, great harm, who would have been one of these people that judges and vengeance was coming upon for the, the hurt Stephen. They laid his, their, their coats at the feet of Saul. He would have been one of those that, that, that is represented here, but they found Christ. And so what should we do with our enemies? What should we do with those who hurt us and deliberately hurt us? Well, give place to wrath. Vengeance is mine. God said, I will repay. But also Jesus helps us in Matthew 5, 44 and 45. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Who says this, by the way? Who says love your enemies? Yeah, and a Super Bowl ad, right? Not that long ago. That caused a great stir because, hey, who, who lives that way today? No, you hate your enemies. You hate them. You just, you know, love your enemies, he says. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And even allows those who brought great pain to Christians to get saved. And maybe God will do that as you do good to those around you. Nevertheless, it seems that there are these prayers of the saints giving place to wrath that are mixed together with the, the fire from the altar 
and thrown down to the earth. And now judgment is going to happen to the earth of earth dwellers. The first four trumpets bring destruction upon the earth. There are people who are destroyed in it, and we'll see that. But it's not to destroy people. It's destroying the earth. This is the beginning of the destruction of the earth. Why would God make a point before he brings... We haven't gotten into many of the judgments yet. The last three trumpet judgments are crazy when it comes to what happens to men. In fact, I think they're demonically influenced. I think all of them have demonic aspects to them. But why would God go out of his way to give four blasts of the trumpet that are going to start the destruction of the earth? Because the earth dwellers worship the earth. Because the earth has become an idol for many people today. And has been an idol. Earth-based religions have their roots in paganism that goes back to hundreds of years before the time of Christ, if not thousands of years before the time of Christ. The Druids and others worshipped the earth. And there are those today who worship the earth. In fact, it's a whole movement. It's, the re it's a reason some people live. I took some time to look this up while I was driving over, trying to be as safe as I could while I was looking something up. But I, wanted, I was just curious, knowing that a lot of money is raised for environmental causes. I was leaving Walgreens the other day, and they had some, a really sharp guy uh, that gave me a question like, what do you think is more important, taking care of the air or taking care of the water? And I said, uh, can I say both? And he goes, bingo, you said it, my man, and gave me a little five. And, and it was all about them raising money for environmental causes, to take care of the earth and to take care of the water. And listen, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. I mean, who knows? God may tarry. There may, God may kind of put a pause on things now. And we, right now it looks like the very end. All the, all the boxes have been checked for Jesus to come back at any moment. But who knows that God might not pause it. And we want to take care of the earth. But more money has been raised for environmental causes than any other cause that's out there. It's the greatest cause for money being raised. When you think about it, it goes all the way back to Al Gore. Me and Ray were talking about that earlier. It goes deep into the heart of people that reject God. Men have been made to worship. We've been made to worship. We've been made to praise. People do good things. You know, they make a 360 slam dunk. Yes, woo. We've been made to look at things that are good. And so when you reject worship of God, you begin to worship something else. And the earth has become one of those major things that people worship. Let me read you a passage out of Romans chapter 1 that talks about people that worship the earth. It says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And by the way, this is an addition to my notes, so you're not going to find it up on the screen. So listen carefully. Or look in your own Bible. This is Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but their futile thoughts, uh, but, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed 
the glory of the incorruptible God into the image like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanliness. So they exchanged the worship and the glory of God for the worship of things that are on this world. And that's what they live for. Can you imagine how hard it's going to hit the environmentalist when this first trumpet is blown? No wonder there's silence in heaven for a half an hour. Because the earth has been the creation where we have lived on since Genesis chapter 1. And will be completely destroyed in Revelation 21. Let me put it this way. We'll be completely replaced in Genesis 21. But along with that replacement comes a destruction. So this is judgment against the environment, the earth. The very thing that earth dwellers are living for. They're earth dwellers. The very thing that they're dwelling on is the, is the, is the focus of judgment from the trumpet judgments. So we pick it up in, in the verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown on the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. So the first judgment comes to the land, and a third of the trees are burned up. It's hail and fire mingled with blood. This may be something supernatural. Some have tried to describe what kind of an event could bring hail and fire mingled with blood we saw hail and fire in Exodus, in the, one of the judgments there. But here it's mingled with blood. And maybe because it's a, a fire that does kill men, this judgment's on the earth. But men would be collateral damage, it would seem. Maybe that's the mingled with blood. And a third of the trees. Now, we get a lot of our oxygen from trees, right? And you've got to save the forests. So it's going to become just a little bit harder to breathe. But not only that, all of the grass is burned up. A third of the trees are gone, but all of the grass is burned up at this event. Which means that cattle can't graze. Which means that there's going to be more famine. We come back now to the third of the seals that were torn and the black horse that, drove, that, that, that rode out, which is famine. And it's going to help that. The second trumpet sounds in verse 8. Then the second angel sounded. And something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. This would be like a, a meteor. You know, there are near flybys of meteor on the earth all the time. And given enough time, there will be a significant meteor, meteor that will hit the earth. There have been times where a meteor has been a close flyby. And a close flyby for, for, for those studying these things is not what we think. I think close would be like between us and the moon. That would be close. But they're talking about something that is, you know, much further away than that. But they still call it a close flyby. That sometimes they've looked and not noted them until they were gone. That something that flew by, it was on its way out. They were like, well, good thing we're seeing that because it could have destroyed us all. So this thing that looks like a great mountain that is on fire is thrown into a sea. And a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. There would be the death of men with the destruction of the ships. But again, that's collateral damage. The, the judgment is against the sea. The sea provides food for the world. A lot of the, we get a lot of our food from there. We get more oxygen from algae than we get from trees. You never hear preserve the algae campaign, but we really do. And so this is going to make it worse. It's going to make it harder for men on the earth to live and breathe with the destruction of a third of the sea. This is God beginning to destroy all of these things. Then the third trumpet sounds, verse 10. 
Then the third sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood, which in times past has been a kind of poison or a kind of uh, medicine. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. I think it was 1986 when in Ukraine, Chernobyl, it was the, the largest nuclear disaster, I think still to this day, the largest nuclear disaster. And people were moved from their homes and people died from the initial thing and people were moved out of their homes. And you remember it made the news? I, we, we just started the church here in 86 when that happened because Chernobyl in Ukraine is Wormwood. And so when that happened, it was like, oh, there's just a little bit like of a check, like hey, there's, there's some connection here. And, and why would you ever name a nuclear power plant Wormwood? Why would you ever do such a thing with the potential that it has to be able to contaminate things that are around you? But um, here, this is the fresh water. So now we have the trees and the grass that's burned up. Then we have the oceans that are burned up. Now a third of the water is being, is being destroyed. And so you get the idea that God is really taking care of everything on the earth. He's starting by destroying a third of it all. And then verse 12, And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars. A third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Now, I don't know if we can describe exactly what's going to happen in these events, but the end result is going to be everything diminished by a third. Exactly how that is or what it is, we don't know. And for those who might think, well, I don't worship the earth, but I worship the sun and the moon and the stars, and there are plenty of those, now the sun and the moon and the stars are shaken. And how terrifying it must be for the people on the earth when a third of the trees are destroyed, an event that destroys a third of the trees, then a third of the ocean, then a third of the fresh water, and then it turns to the heavens and goes into the sky and the stars and the moon and the sun. And a third of all of that is diminished as well. Now, all of that's pretty bad. And, and God is really hitting people where they live in their idolatry. And if you have been putting your hope in Mother Earth, it's time to put your hope in our Father who is in heaven, who can save and who can take us beyond this earth. Because this earth had a purpose. I'm, I'm certainly not against taking care of the earth. I wonder if all of that money that's raised, the greatest cause that there ever is to raise money is environmental causes. I wonder if that was given to the people on the earth that were struggling. I wonder if you could take care of poverty with all of the money that's been spent. It seems to me you could, that you could put it in the right places and take care of poverty and all the money that's been spent to take care of the world. And they're still crying that we're only a, a, a few years away from the earth being destroyed. I don't know how far away we are from it being destroyed, but I know that God will have his hand in it when he does. He created the world. He will destroy the world, showing that people are far more important than the earth. There is a new move. It's an environmental move to reduce the number of people on the earth. They want to kill people, make it hard for people to live, have people wiped out in order to save the earth because they have a higher value on the earth than they do for people, that's not God. God has a higher value on people. And the earth was created to hold people. Now, we're not done yet. 
We've had eight angels, right? Seven of them, and then the angel that took the censer. Well, now we get another angel, kind of, verse 13. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. Now, if you have the ESV or the, or the NIV, who, who has that copy here, here, by the way? Anybody? Are we all New King James people? Is that what we're doing? All right. It says eagle. It says, and I looked and I heard an eagle flying through the midst of heaven. And the reason the NIV and the ESV say eagle is because this word is the word for eagle. It's not the word for angel, for messenger. It's the word for eagle. So why did the King James and, and, the, and the New King James translate it as angel? Because there's one of the angels that are before the throne that has the face of an eagle. So they made a connection between the eagle that flew and announced these things to the, to the cherubim that is an eagle that flies in the midst of it. Is it right or wrong? I don't know. But here we have an eagle that flies in the midst of heaven. It has a voice and it can talk. And it's not just whatever noises eagles make. That's my best eagle, by the way. Not very good. Sounded more like a, I don't know, crow dying or something. But this eagle says with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Now, the inhabitants of the earth has just had the earth take a hit. And how many woes does it say? And how many trumpets are left? Three. And if you think these trumpets have been bad, the ones to come, as I said, have a demonic, I think, bent to all of them. And I don't know whether we'll look at all of them next week. Probably not. It'll probably take us a couple, three weeks to get through the last trumpet judgments because we have the locusts that come out of the pit and sting men and they want to die. So that's just right around the corner. That's part of the woe here. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. For those that have been killed and for those that are up in heaven with their white robes on because they came to Christ after the beginning of the tribulation period, but woe to those in the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Now this beginning of the destruction of the earth that we find in Revelation chapter 8 is finished in Revelation 21. Here's what it says. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Sounds like really like nice, right? It just, that the earth, first earth, first heaven passed away. Also, there was no more sea, which has bummed some people out. Pastor Chuck, who founded Calvary Chapel, used to say that he wanted Hawaii, but after he found out there's no more, that he wanted to, to rule over Hawaii, but after he found out that there was no more sea, he wasn't sure he wanted it. Might want something else. <laughs> but there's a new heaven and a new earth. Now, this new heaven, is it just only the, the sky, the stars, the, 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 is it the universe? Is it something like that? Things are changing here now. We're living, we're, we're spirits who have uh, been given a body for eternity that is incorruptible and immortal. And so are we going to be living in an earth and a sky that's similar to this? I don't know. I don't know that there's any way to answer that. But what we do know is this one passes away and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And then in Revelation 21, there's the new Jerusalem that comes down upon the earth and, and, and God is there and we live in that new Jerusalem. Now, Peter talks about the destruction of the earth as well in 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Now, notice that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. We've talked about this a little bit before. But what that means is it happens suddenly. When a thief comes to your house in the night, 
You didn't know he was going to come. So you were living your life the day before the thief got there like the thief wasn't there. And if you've ever walked into a home that had been broken into, I know some of you have, there's a violation to that, isn't there? Your stuff's been gone through and your stuff's been taken, but you didn't know it. And you were living a normal life until it happened. The day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. Jesus said that the day of the Lord will be as it was in the days of Noah. They were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until destruction came and took them all away. So it's just going to be normal life. Somehow we think that the days before the tribulation period are going to be like, like apocalypse now. Smoke and helicopters and it's just going to be like, boy, there's no doubt that the tribulation period is starting tomorrow. It won't be. People will have their wedding date set for the day the tribulation period starts. It comes as a thief in the night. What's the end result of it coming like a thief in the night? In which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both on the earth and the, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So if you're living for this earth, the end result of this world is that it's going to be burned up one day. And there are a lot of people who have rejected God who are living for this earth. Now, three things in closing. Number one, our prayers are remembered in heaven. What a great reminder for us not to neglect our prayers. And to remember that God is, he, he knows every tear we have cried. Even the Holy Spirit intercedes with us with groanings and utterances that are too deep for words. That doesn't mean you go in your room and grunt on, on purpose. In a church that I went to, they used to grunt in prayer being the intercession of the Holy Spirit. It was more like rad, 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 rad was what they called the intercession of the Holy Spirit. That's not what that means. It means that when you are brokenhearted and you don't know what to pray, and you cry out to God and you groan that the Holy Spirit is making intercessions for you with, with uh, words that are too deep, or with groanings that are too deep for words. And so our prayers are important. We see them up before God in heaven, even at the very end. Number two, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. The world doesn't want to do it. Their response, and I don't know the group that put that ad together, by the way, I looked them up, didn't know them. I, I don't know what they stand for. I don't know whether they're good or bad, all right? I have no idea. So I'm not, this is not an endorsement of anything they're doing, although I might endorse it if I looked into it more, okay? I don't really care to. But that they would hate an ad that says to love your neighbor, that people would just be full of hatred over it. Let's make sure we, we do what Christ has called us to do. Love the people around us, and maybe God will even intervene with some people that have hurt you and like Paul, bring them into eternity. Finally, the earth will be destroyed. That's clear in the book of Revelation. So, so Peter says, what kind of person should we be? Living for things here on earth or living for God? The Bible says, don't put your mind on the things of this earth, but put your mind on the things of heaven. How much of our time is consumed with earthly matters and not consumed with heavenly matters? Whatever's holy, whatever's pure, whatever's honorable, think on these things. And may we be able to make that switch to say, this earth's passing away, but our God is not passing away. And one day we'll go to be with him or he will come to be with us. He'll come to take us to be with him. But this earth, is, its days are numbered. How soon? I don't know. And I weary of people setting dates. I can't tell you how weary I am of people setting dates. Have I told you I'm weary of people setting dates? 
And we've only seen the tip of it. Because we're coming up to exactly 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So you take 2,000 years after the resurrection of Jesus, subtract seven years, and now you're going to have a lot of people predicting dates for Jesus' return, right? People that predict dates love good round numbers. Do you remember 2000? Y2K? All the computers in the world were going to freak out. Some of you younger guys here are like, what? What? Yeah. Everybody thought, man, the world was going to end. Everything's run on computers, and they're just going to, they're, they're not going to know how to handle 2000. And so it's all going to stop. Everything's going to stop. You know, January 1st came, 2001. Fine. No problem. But everybody was sure Jesus was coming back uh, and, uh, and before, the two, uh, before 2000, all right? So um, let's just keep our eyes on the skies and remember him, make sure our worship is in the right place. And yes, we're thankful to God for this earth, right? We aren't like, we don't want the earth to be destroyed. We're, it's beautiful and, and we've been able to enjoy it. And we do want the earth to do well until it's, de- it's done. But God makes it clear, it's not about worshiping the earth, it's about him who we put our trust in. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time that we're able to spend here today looking at these things here in your word about this earth and what it's going to go through. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to put our trust in the things of this earth. What what a planet you gave us, full of resources that have brought us to this day and even beyond. And even though men talk about man destroying it, I'm not sure men can destroy it. But Lord, you will begin to bring an end to it at the blasting of those first four trumpets. We thank you that you let us in on this, that we can have our heart in the right place. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.